everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. The son of a pastor, and uh, last night was confronted with one of them. I was, uh, we were wrapping up dinner, and my three boys, um, so Brogan just turned 13, and then Deacon is 11, and Oaks is 5. As we're wrapping up, I'm like, hey guys, I got a question for you. Tell me about a time when you felt the most free. And my five-year-old just stares at me. And my wife right away is like, you know he's five, right? Like she's, she is a, a therapist at Children's Hospital. And she's just like developmentally, everything about this question is wrong for him. And my oldest like furrows his brow a little bit. My middle son, Deacon, right away is like hot on it. He's like, I, I totally know the answer to this question. Uh, about a month ago, my parents took me and my siblings on this trip down to Mexico. And there was one night kind of right towards the end We'd gone out on this boat, and all of the cousins um, went out. There's this like net that was out on the boat, but picture like a massive hammock that like ten people could get on. And Deacon goes, "It was being, it was being on the net on that boat with my cousins. That's when I felt the most free." And I am absolutely picturing like a Titanic moment, like Leonardo DiCaprio is holding Deacon as we're like cruising along the ocean. And I said, "Was it more about the net and the boat, or was it more about your cousins?" And he said, oh, it was about my cousins. We could have been anywhere, but I just felt free being with them. It was like really cool. Like, and I turned to Ash and I'm like, well, he got it. Like, I felt a little justified. But what does it mean to be free? Like, what, what would your answer to that be? When, when is a time that you felt the most free? And if you could get under it, is it about the net and the boat or is it about something else that's there? What is the nature of freedom? And we're weird in our culture in the West, and a lot of that is thanks to the Enlightenment. This is back in the 1600s, and so many things across human civilization, especially in the West, were shifting. And one of those things was the fundamental understanding of what does it mean to be free? And it's affected even how we use the word. If you look in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, they would tell you this. Freedom, the definition, the quality or state of being free. It's the absence of necessity, coercion, constraint in choice or action, liberation from slavery, of restraint, or the power of another, the quality or state of being exempt or released, usually from something onerous. And if you're looking at all of that going, that feels very dictionary. Maybe there's a more contemporary definition I can give you that sums all that up. Uh, as the great theologian Lil Uzi Vert said, I do what I want. For so many of us that have grown up in the Western world, this is the essence of what freedom is. Welcome to one of the most installed pieces of Americana in each one of our hearts and souls who have grown up here. And there's a problem with this definition. Because if we take it to its natural outcome, it leads to complete isolation. We become so consumed with our personal desires and thoughts, we become a community of independence, a community of the isolated. It's a total oxymoron. And here's what I mean by that. I think here's what you can expect to see in a culture that defines freedom this way. It's a culture where you'd find people so fixated on their own perspectives that anyone who doesn't immediately agree with them would be rejected as idiotic. That's what that kind of a culture would be like. Because of this, dialogue would become increasingly hard to find, which would drive not merely cliques and clubs, but ultimately just isolation. And in isolation, 
this definition of freedom finally achieves its grand project, to be the king or the queen of your own world, to have deposed any other contenders for the throne and to rule with unequivocal authority. And as we venture further past the enlightenment, I think we're finding the natural consequences in our belief. Dialogue is murderous to have today. So much so that we're having to hold classes and courses on how to have a good conversation or even make small talk. We won't waste time talking about news media or social media. We're all exhausted by it. And in a world of mental health and physical health, it's taking its own toll. There was a study done by the Surgeon General's office that just blew my mind when I watched it. And it said this, um, the consequences that come on a human body when you don't have enough connection, 29% increased, re increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, 60% increase in premature death. It takes a physical toll on your body to not be connected to people. So much so that the Surgeon General made this statement. He declared a, a federal state of emergency around the problem of isolation. He said this, our, epide our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been underappreciated as a public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health our relationships are a source of healing and well-being, hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. So I think the question, hopefully, that we're all then sitting with is, well, this doesn't sound like freedom. People locked in their houses, angry at the world, incapable of conversation, and literally getting sick and dying young. That's not freedom. As we continue to journey into the book of Acts, this idea of what is freedom sits right at the core of our story today. And as we jump in, there's some big context I just want to make sure that we're all aware of. If you've missed the last few weeks, here's what's been going on. There's been this big council of folks, and, and right now, up until this point in time, most of this church Christian movement thing has been really Jewish. But there's a whole bunch of non-Jewish folks who want to get in on this party. And so they just had in this last chapter a big conversation around, well, should all these new folks become Jewish? And really at the center of this conversation was, should non-Jewish people have to be circumcised in order to really be a part of the church? And the ultimate decision was, no, they don't, to which all the guys in the room who are not Jewish are like, thank goodness, okay, cool, we're good, let's keep going. And so uh, as we get into chapter 16, which is where we are today, news is going out. This council wrote down letters and they wanted to take these all across the globe so that people who were interested in following Jesus kind of knew like, here are the marching orders, here's how this is all gonna work out. So they send out folks, Paul, this, this apostle Paul, he's one of these guys that they send out and Paul right away grabs his buddy Silas which is a really key piece of information. And one of the first towns, actually, that they stop in, they meet another young kid. His name's Timothy. Paul says, hey, Timothy, I want you to come with me, too. Halfway through this chapter, something really cool happens. In the Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts were all written by the same author. His name's Luke. And in the middle of chapter 16, you see something you haven't seen so far. It's, it's first-person plural. We shows up in the book. Luke is now officially a part of the story. This is a first-person account, things that he has seen. This is so cool. Like, and so I, I just want you, as we jump in, like you, you need to imagine this story. There, there, it's just so rich with so much good stuff. And one of the things, as we're setting that context, I just want you to know 
is you've got Paul, and you've got Silas, and you've got Timothy, and you've got Luke. You've got a group of four guys who are beginning to travel, and they're going far all over the place simply because they just want to share the story of Jesus. But the thing I want to draw your attention to is not just Paul. Like, it could be, we could so easily read that or as you imagine this, like, oh, it's just Paul or it's just Paul inside. It's a community of folks who are moving around doing this together. Super intentional and purposeful on Paul's part. It's so awesome. And they've just gotten this vision to move to Macedonia, which if you don't know where that is, I mean, picture like Greece. It's a European road trip, everybody. That's what's going on right here. Paul just got some great news. Head over to Europe. We're going to start sharing the story there. And they come to a place called Philippi. And for extra credit, um, if you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do this week, the book of Philippians, this was one of these first letters that Paul wrote to the church there, the folks that he's, we're going to be interacting with in this story. It's a letter that he wrote just to encourage them. Super short read, but if you want to know what else is going on in Paul's mind when he thinks about this group of people, Philippians is a beautiful place. Okay, that's enough proviso. Let's jump into our story for today. We're going to skip some really good stuff, um, and we're going to start in verse 16. And here's where we pick it up. One day, as we, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, as we were going to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, which I think is amazing. Like, the Bible is just perfectly human-sized people. And the other thing that's funny about this is she's she's walking around saying, these men serve the Most High God, and they proclaim, they're here to tell you how to get free. Like, she's saying really good stuff, and Paul's just straight up annoyed. He's like, can you shut up, girl? Like, freaking me out. Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Christ Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. It wasn't just, there's was something about the situation. It wasn't just good news, good things she was saying. There was something maniacal going on there. And Paul picked up on it right away and said, there's a demon, there's a spirit at work. We're going to do business with that. That's it's amazing. I tend to like glaze over those details. Like in that moment, what it would take for Paul to recognize and then have the guts to say that out loud. And then for that, it's just amazing. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Okay, now I want you to really like, even to the point of closing your eyes, imagine this story. They've just grabbed Paul and Silas. I think probably Timothy's in here too because they're the Jewish ones. Luke's not Jewish. They grab these guys, they drag them to the marketplace, and when they brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They're Jews, and they're advocating for customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt and observe. Did you notice they didn't say a single thing about the fact of like, they took out our slave girl who we've exploited for years to make money off of her. They're like super sideways. The crowd joined in attacking them, And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Can you picture that in your head? City square, stripped down to your underwear or less, and then beaten in front of a crowd. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. And following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell 
and he fastened their feet in stocks. I'm going to pause here for a second. What are you thinking if you're Paul or Silas or Timothy or even Luke? I'm angry if I'm in this story. I am filled with so much resentment. Man, I gave up my life. I have been walking all over the world. I'm trying to bring good news to people. God, I brought it to this city. It seemed like good things were happening. And now I'm bleeding and handcuffed to a wall in a prison naked. Are you there? Do you care? What is happening? You're probably not feeling super free right now if you're Paul and Silas. You are literally in jail. But these guys are on a whole other level. Listen to this. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake. It was so violent the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he, was supposed, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. These guys are on a totally different level. The obvious application from this story for us this week is that we should all try and get thrown into jail and then sing our ways out of it. I think we'd be a lot more interesting as a group of people if we all took this challenge seriously. So good luck. Let's pray. Just kidding. Um, it's an interesting juxtaposition in this story. Who's free? Let's just look through the characters. If we're looking at the setting, it's clear. Paul and Silas, they're literally in prison. The jailer is literally the ones with the keys. It's clear who's free and who's imprisoned. But as we look closer, we begin to see something else. Paul and Silas, they're actually still accomplishing exactly what they came there to do. Little prison never hurt nobody, if you're Paul and Silas. They've got a bloody lip, but there's people there. And they were told to share the gospel with people. And they're still sharing the gospel in between each other. There's just such a gift of community and they just don't seem to be bothered by the fact that they're chained to a wall or in a prison cell. That's phenomenal. I would be angry and resentful. These guys respond at midnight by singing and praying. And they're in a Roman prison. There are a couple of Jewish dudes. I mean, this is a crowd of inmates standing around them. This wasn't a day and age where you got your own cell for the sake of safety. This was like, we're going to put all the worst people in the innermost cell. That's who's surrounding them. A horde of pagans. <laughs> and they're singing and they're praying. And all these other prisoners are standing around them watching these guys, probably with their jaws on the floor thinking, oh, I'm angry and resentful. What level are you guys on? And I identify with those guys better than I identify with Paul and Silas. Can you picture that room and what's going on? How many times in your life have you had a moment where you just felt the utter abandonment of God only to look back years afterwards and see his presence at work in your life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not? It seems like there's an invitation in this Christian life to confess that no matter what is happening, God is in control, and he's good, and he loves us, and we can trust him, and he's doing it on purpose. 
Do you have a bloody lip today? Are you feeling beaten up with diagnosis or decision or relationship or pain? Are you currently living in where you need to hear this? God is in control and he cares. It's not simple, but that is a perfectly human-sized thing to be told. He really is there. He really does care, and it is a journey to learn how to trust that. Now, as a quick aside, if you're thinking, yes, I'm feeling those things because I am in an abusive relationship, or things are not safe in my life because of the circumstances of another, please come get help, and you can find anyone on staff or me after the service. But if your pain point is coming from something else, lean in is the invitation from Paul and Silas. Freedom is to be found in the trust of God's control. And to our Western ears, that's odd. You can't be free if someone else has control. And instinctually, we actually know that struggling with a friend, having somebody to put their arm around us to keep us going, the gift of suffering in community, that sounds more like it. But to find freedom in the control of another, that's odd. Well, let's keep thinking through this story. Who's not free in this story? This is one of those crazy, what is going on right now? But in the end, it's the jailer who's not free. It's the dude who has all the keys. Think about his day. Jailed these guys. I can't get them to shut up. It's, it's midnight, for crying out loud, and they just won't shut up. I'm listening to them. I'm just trying to catch a nap at my desk. Have the inmates ever had somebody like this in their jail cell? Have I? It seems like the rest of these prisoners are pretty chilled out compared to a normal Tuesday night. What is going on in there? But at some point, it seems, he falls asleep. He's able to lull off until an earthquake comes. And he wakes up, and it's midnight before there are things called light bulbs. And then the torchlight, where you can't see all that far into a prison cell, all he, see, all he sees is black holes and unfastened chains. And if you're a jailer, this is the thing that you have nightmares about. In the Roman Empire, you're going to be executed if you're the jailer. And it was more honorable just to fall on your own sword, literally. This dude is so afraid of his bosses. He's terrified of his government. He's afraid for his life. He's lost his reputation, his income, his future, his family, all in one moment. He's hit rock bottom. And for all the seeming freedom that this guy has on a key ring on his hip, I think a lot of us can relate with his, this guy. It doesn't matter if you're a janitor or a president, our world is wired the same. There is always somebody that you answer to. Beyond the people, we all wrestle with things like reputations or incomes or futures or families that seem to carry this heavy control over us. It exposes a core desire that we all carry. We all carry a need for security and for affection and for control. And we easily become slaves to these things. Unless we have a good master that brings these things, the human soul is naturally bent to fill things into these three roles. So when the slave masters of security and affection and control are suddenly exposed for the frauds that they are, for their inability to care for us, 
then what? Let's keep reading. Verse 28. Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them and he washed their wounds. Can you picture, man, picture this in your head. This is so graceful. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay, and he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. What? (laughs) This is crazy. Who's free in this story? Just seems like everybody's getting in on this party. The jailer realized he didn't have security or affection or control over his circumstances. And as he's watching Paul and Silas, as he's watching what's happening right in front of him, he realized that they do. These are the most free guys I've ever been around, the ones who are in my jail. They're free. Where do you find your security? How do you experience rooted affection like these guys seem to? What has come over their lives And when he asks them, it's just such a simple and elegant response. Let me tell you about Jesus, God in the flesh. He's the one who makes it so that when I'm stripped naked and I'm beaten to a pulp and I'm chained to a wall and it's midnight, all I want to do is pray and I'm so glad for my friend who's next to me. Man, that's cool. Let me tell you about Jesus. They say, too, this is for you and your whole house. This is not just some individualistic thing. It's a community thing. It starts in your home. It's bigger than that, but it starts in your home. They all get baptized. Did you catch that little detail? It's so fun. And they're doing it. I mean, if you can picture the story, they've just finished wiping off all the dried, crusted blood off of these guys' bodies. And it's in that moment in the story where they go, will you baptize us? And I mean, I doubt they're using like the same exact bloody water, but they're using the same water that they go, oh yeah, let me, t- the, the wounds that we had, like let us just turn around and we'll use it. Like you're saved. It's beautiful. Can you picture the story? And who in it is free? Ironically, it's as if Peter, or Paul, excuse me, the prisoner was setting the warden free of his prison. That's what this story is about. So what is Freedom. Little Uzi Vert would say, I do what I want, but I would posit to you that kind of freedom is an illusion. That's not real. It's the pursuit and the pursuit of it in our culture, post the Enlightenment. It is literally killing us. I'd like to offer another angle. I think this would be one that Paul and Silas would be pretty squarely living in. I think Timothy Keller said it really well. Freedom is not the absence of constraints, but finding the right ones those that fit our nature and liberate us. I think we can begin to understand freedom when we understand what it is we need to be set free from. Give a thing all it needs to be exactly what it was created to do and you'll see freedom. Give a horse wide open pastures and food and water. It has everything it needs to be a horse. Give a tiger a jungle, something to hunt. You will see a tiger be fully alive. 
What is it that you need to give a human being? What sort of place? What sort of rules? What sort of fuel do they need? Want to see a human being most alive? Give it a God who offers authentic security and affection and control. Start there. But that can't just be the end. The story of Scripture was never just about you and God. It has always been about a community, not just an institution or a program or a building, a community. I think that maybe better than Tim Keller, another great theologian, Susan Phillips, said it absolutely the best when she said, freedom can be seen as hyper-individualism, but Christian freedom means you are anchored to community. Church community strips us of false freedom. It humbles us. It expands our ethical horizons. It moves us to live the confronted rather than the unconfronted life. And it holds us responsible. I'm gonna leave that up on the screen and I want your eyes just to dance and linger on those words because there is such goodness in them. And let me bring out the band as I close with some thoughts. One question we've been asking as we've been going through the book of Acts is why does the church matter? In a world post-COVID where I can watch the best sermons in the world online, where I can support any charity through an online gift, why should I go to church? Why should I be involved in a Christian community? Why? If you want the kind of freedom that allows you to do what you want, just know that the natural outcome may not deliver on what it promises. It might just lead to isolation. And while there are all sorts of communities out there, PTOs, book clubs, softball leagues, neighbors, there's just something so special about a community gathered around the bonfire of God, warming itself and telling the stories and doing the work that he invites us to do and enjoying one another. The church is not an institution. It is not a program. It is not a system of beliefs. When you boil this place and this group of people down, to their finest shape. You'll find people like Chris and Tori Lyle who just go hang out with teenagers and they know their name and they can tell you all about their life because they love them. You'll find people like Kim Hagel. Kim who will go spend time with friends who can't make it to church anymore because they're elderly and they're sick and they're dying and Kim will just go hang out with them and help clean their house it's beautiful church is not words on a screen and music on a Sunday and a sermon it's the people that's what you're invited to and the beauty of it all is that this is the essence of freedom when that is directed underneath the worship of a God who is in control and does love you and is the source of all security, you're alive. What is your experience of church? When you walk through the doors, what is it that you hope to receive and give in this place? If it is simply transmission from a stage, you will be sorely disappointed and frankly pissed off at the church. If you come looking side to side at the people around, wondering who can I ask to just mentor me and walk alongside, 
fact, who could I do that for? Who could I care for and love? Who could I take to a coffee or invite to my house for a dinner? There is the church. There is freedom. That's what you were made for. And whether this is your first Sunday you've ever walked through the doors of a church or you've been coming to church for a long time, but you've never engaged that, that's what this place is about. As best we can and as imperfectly as we attempt, that's what it's about. We're going to take a moment now just to stand and sing together. One of my favorite things to do, especially with this in mind, is to just listen. If we all do it, nobody's singing, so that would be awkward. Just sing a little bit. Listen to the voices around you, to a room of people gathered around the bonfire of God, enjoying each other and enjoying Him. The community is part of what's fun about singing together. So I'll invite you now, those who are able, let's stand and sing in community.